Welcome to Thinking Ahead, your leading edge insights podcast. Each episode reveals the latest insights on today's consumers and offers a sneak peek of tomorrow's marketplace. Stop guessing what's next and start thinking ahead. Hello and welcome. This is Dave, your host for this week's Thinking Ahead, the GFK Insights Podcast. Our topic today is omnichannel shopping and the forces shaping tomorrow's mix of online and offline purchasing. GFK has just released new findings from its Future Buy study, which has been tracking the evolving context of shopping, including the rise of web rooming and other game-changing trends. I'm speaking today with two people who know a lot about the shopper landscape. Joe Beyer, Executive Vice President on GFK's Consumer Insights team, and leader of the Future Buy program, and Serena Girard, Senior Research Associate at GFK, who played a central role in this year's study. Welcome to Thinking Ahead, Joe and Serena. Thank you, glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. So I don't think we could talk about shopping right now in 2020 without delving a little into the pandemic and how it's forced people to really rethink their shopping habits. So I was just wondering, what are some of the key developments we've seen in the way people are shopping today uh, compared to before the virus? Yeah, let me take a crack at that one, Dave. Uh, I think there's a couple layers to it. First of all, there's the somewhat obvious stuff, the safety-related pullback, I would say, from physical to online, uh, which is kind of pretty visible for most of us living in the world today. But I would note that the pullback and the shift to online from physical has not been really universal. And we actually see some categories where the in-store trip has proven to be very, very durable. Uh, grocery is one example of that, where 85% of the trips are still including, or the purchase occasions are still including some kind of a store trip. But clearly there's been a shift, as you say, and the obvious stuff is the people that are going to stores are you know, in masks and gloves and you know, those protocols have changed pretty dramatically in very tangible and obvious ways. But there's also some less obvious things going on that we think are quite interesting, one of which we're calling accidental trial. And that's really a phenomenon that is based on regular routines, regular products, regular preferred retailers not being available because of the chaos of the crisis. In the case of product, it's out of stocks. In the case of retailers, it may be this desire not to go into stores or maybe retailers are restricting hours and access. So there's this been sort of a mass substitution and a mass trial of other products and other retailers that was not intended by anyone, but is really just a result of the chaos that we're in in the shopper space right now. And interestingly, our data suggests that about a third of the people that have needed to make a substitution and try something new are intending on sticking with it uh, after the crisis is over as well. So there's really a kind of an invisible, but it will certainly be visible after the crisis as well, this upending of sort of traditional brand loyalties and uh, brand patterns. And again, we think that will be pretty durable and persistent after the crisis uh, uh, is, is over as well. Uh, I guess we, we have to assume that some of these changes are more short-term spikes uh, or variations in behavior. 
Uh, and we know that Future Buy uh, is really good at giving us a long-term look at shopping trends. So just looking at the current Future Buy, which I know has just come out, could you give us a quick overview of what you've measured and how long the study's been around, what you're covering? Sure. Um, Future Buy is an annual syndicated study that's been around for about five years now, starting in 2015. Um, and it really allows clients to examine shopper behaviors and attitudes by understanding a broad view of key category markets of interest. So what we're measuring is these attitudes and behaviors um, in 25 countries with about a thousand respondents per country. Um, and these attitudes and behaviors are measured across 19 categories, such as tech, personal, and household items. So thinking about how things have shifted during the pandemic and the lockdowns, uh, all those changes in behavior, how do the movements that have been created by the virus and the crisis square with what you've been seeing in future buy trends for the past few years? Yeah, good question. And it, it goes a little bit to the point, too, we like to make with our clients, which is it's absolutely important to understand the moment of this crisis in terms of how it's affected shopping behaviors and shopping attitudes. But we think it's also very important to take a, a big step back and kind of recognize that there were a lot of forces that were underway already transforming shopping uh, before the virus. And we think a lot of these are going to play through the virus as well and certainly be there on the on the other side of the virus, too. So we want to talk a little bit about a couple of those to the point of your question and how they may be affected by the current situation. And two, I'll point out in particular, uh, one is what we call borderless shopping. And this is what we used to talk about as sort of omni channel shopping where people would toggle pretty fluidly between uh, online environments, uh, brick and mortar environments, uh, apps, and all the different tools that they have to uh, navigate their shopping experiences. And we're starting to call it borderless because Omni sort of still implies there's a lot of borders there. And every time we look at it, the borders get dimmer and dimmer and people just are really flowing to whatever feels comfortable to them and whatever is proven to be effective. So this notion of increased blending of different shopping modalities across different uh, traditional channels is one that really has been accelerated as people have been forced to be a lot more creative to accommodate a lot of the conditions that COVID has presented to them. So we think that whole borderless omni slash omni dynamic is going to get a lot of topspin coming out of the crisis and we're going to see that accelerate even further. And another one that I, I think uh, Serena will say a little bit more about in a few minutes is this notion of the transition of social marketing from a purely pretty purely influencing space to one that's now really become a commercial space, a place where people are actually um, making their transactions and making their purchases. A lot of new capabilities offered by the social media players to do that. And again, because of the real intense spike in online activity, we think that's just going to bring many more people just by natural momentum into also being exposed to social media shopping opportunities. And therefore, we think that one's going to really start to accelerate out of the gate on a, on a post-COVID basis uh, as well. So it seems that uh, based on your data that people were already gradually becoming more comfortable buying things like uh, household goods and you know, soaps, and cleaners online, not just buying durables and things that you really research closely. Is that a trend that you think will continue to grow now um, after people have experimented with more online shopping during the pandemic? 
Yeah, we think so. So the really, I think the big picture question that the industry is grappling with right now is, you know, everyone recognizes that we're in a very unusual uh, high watermark, if you will, for online uh, purchasing and online shopping, having replaced a lot of in-store trips that are now scary for folks. Uh, and the question then is, what does the pullback look like post-COVID? And we think the answer to that is kind of nuanced, and it really has a very category-specific nature to it. So let's take a grocery store, for example, which I think is a good case of the kinds of products you're talking about, the fast-moving consumer goods, you know, more of the consumables. And, you know, we think that the stuff in the center of the store, if you will, the staples, the dry goods, uh, most likely are coming off of pretty good uh, online experiences where people have had a good experience ordering those online and getting them either delivered or picking them up on a click and collect basis. And so we believe for those types of products in the basket, the peaks will come down a bit, but there will be good stickiness and good staying power of the uh, increased online activity that we've seen within the crisis. But then if you flip to other parts of the store, things like produce and meat and fresh foods, we know that for years there's been a huge preference by folks to hand pick and kind of go in and see those items firsthand before making their selections. And so there we would expect many of those online occasions to migrate you know, back into the stores where people want that sensory experience and that ability to inspect prior to the to purchase. So in a way for the grocery retailers, at least, we predict there's going to be kind of a splitting of the basket, if you will, between the staple and the center store stuff, which people are gonna be much more inclined to want to just carry through on some of the online uh, techniques they've adopted uh, during the crisis and the fresh food that is again, going to wanna to be a, still a personal in-store shopping experience. So it's gonna kind of divide the basket, we think going forward after the crisis. We also talked before a little about web rooming, um, where people, and also showrooming, where people are using uh, online or in-store to do research and then buying uh, in the other location. How do we see the balance between those two uh, shifting? Is that so? Web rooming and showrooming are actually consistent with last year, so there's little or no change there. Um, however, web rooming still stands as the most common form of uh, shopping in this instance. Just to clarify, Serena, web rooming is what? Web rooming is the initial research online and then going to purchase in a store. So another trend we saw beginning to accelerate before the virus was click and collect, where people buy online and then pick up their item uh, somewhere locally. Now that's obviously something that we've probably seen some additional trial on during the virus. Where do you think that's headed now based on what the uh, future by data is showing? Well, we actually believe click and collect is going to be one of the biggest beneficiaries of all the shopping chaos that we're seeing now and all the changes. and. There's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one is convenience. Um, every study that we've done suggests that shoppers are very enthusiastic about click and collect and they see it as a best of both worlds solution where they get all the convenience and choice of shopping on an online environment, but then all the immediacy and all the gratif instant gratification of picking up um, physically at a, at a retailer location. So. They, they like it and what we see is when they do get exposed to it, they really tend to uh, stick with it pretty pretty consistently and really, really like it. So we think there's a lot of just baseline enthusiasm there that more trial, which we're seeing right now, 
is going to result in more conversion. There's also some pretty compelling economics, one of which is more from the consumer or the shopper side, which is we have very strong evidence from the whole emergence of e-commerce over the past, whatever, 15 years that people now really have a strong aversion to paying for any kind of delivery fee. And so while folks may have gone to something like an Instacart delivery out of necessity during the middle of the crisis, we think that as things, uh, the store becomes less scary and other options become available, that that's gonna be harder to sustain on the scale that we're seeing it now. Um, so that's, people are just gonna gravitate away from those economics, even if it's nominal, there's a sort of a psychological barrier that people just don't wanna pay for delivery anymore. And you can sort of likely put a little bit of that at Amazon's feet for better or worse. Uh, and then the other the other set of economics that makes this really a win-win for both the shopper and you know retailers is the retailer economics, which depending on the study you want to look at, but some of the ones we've seen that are activity-based costing studies suggest that a retailer makes almost 10 more margin points on an order that they're able to compel the shopper to come in and pick, pick up in their trunk versus having to deliver it to them. So there is a good reason that we saw even before the pandemic, we saw big players like Walmart, Target, and some of the grocery guys placing big bets on click and collect and really creating a lot of infrastructure to facilitate that and a lot of programming. And so we think that's gonna come out of the shoot um, once the crisis is over as something that's really gotten a ton of acceleration from the current, current trial that's going on for click and collect. We think a lot of people are gonna stick with that and retailers are gonna to continue to put a lot of resources and a lot of push behind that. So we think this is gonna be big going forward. Just curious, Joe, is there is there evidence that people actually go in the store and shop when they do click and collect? There is more evidence that they don't, actually. Uh, what we see in another study is that about two thirds of the orders are really tightly aligned just to the initial online order that was placed and only in about one third of the cases are people adding extra things into their basket. So that poses an interesting dilemma for retailers in terms of their traditional impulse-based models. You know, Target famously is great for getting you in there for the $75 worth of stuff you need and then you walk out $300 later. And that's really part and parcel of their merchant. And that's why they're brilliant merchants, by the way. But again, that whole model gets challenged to some degree by the click and collect model. So while they love the economics of it on the one hand, which we just talked about, there's a sort of a conflict on the basket side where they know that they've got some hills to climb to get that basket up again to the size or even close to the size it was on a physical trip around the around the racetrack inside the store. So looking at the data uh, in future buy and also during the pandemic, we still see that some people shop exclusively online for certain items and then in store for other items. When they do this, when they shop exclusively in one or the other, uh, do we know why they make those choices? What are, what are the benefits they're looking for? When they're going to a store, over a third of shoppers are hoping to get products sooner. Um, and also over a third would like to see or feel the product before buying it. Um, other top mentions for shopping in store include buying other things at the same time or saving money and getting better pricing um, and also completing other routine shopping that already happens at a physical store. And then if we look at shopping just online, the top reason that people are shopping online is 
one to save money. Um, nearly two out of five people are looking for better pricing than in-store um, and really digging for those online deals. And other top reasons include better selection, shopping faster, buying other things at the same time, and just having better delivery options. So the new report also highlights the growth of social media shopping, which you mentioned before. And it seems as though a lot of the awareness that you can buy things on social sites has grown, but there's still a lag in trust and adoption of this purchase method. So where do you see this headed? Uh, do established retailers have an advantage here um, because they have the name and they have the platforms? Or do the startups really have uh, as much of a chance as your big, your big dealers, your big retailers here? Like many habits during this time, shopping has seen some of the largest shifts in terms of where people are going to shop in the future. Um, and I really think that we can, with our data, we can look at this and say that established retailers and the smaller players have a chance for social shopping um, for real. So with social media shopping on the rise this year, it really trended upward, especially for younger generations who are clicking buy buttons on social media and using shoppable uh, posts and stories. Um, we also see this rise among our leading edge consumers who are this group of shoppers that really immerse themselves in new products before they're released. And they give us this insight into where the future of shopping is headed. Um, there's also been an increase in the general population for this type of shopping as well. So in a shifting time like the pandemic for retailers both on and offline, small or large, social media insights can be very crucial to interact with their customer base in a new and, and meaningful way. So we, we were talking about trust just a minute ago as a barrier, potential barrier on social media. And another area where I know that's come up is on mobile shopping. Um, people have seemed to distrust the technology to some degree and may wonder, you know, who has their credit card information. So are privacy and security still major issues uh, holding back some of these, you know, these really core online shopping metrics in the U.S.? Are we falling behind in that sense? Well, we do know the premise of your question is certainly right, that there's a baseline concern about privacy and data security. About 20% of our respondents tell us that it's a, a top personal concern you know, in their life, not just in the realm of shopping, but a big concern. And that's up about seven points from uh, about 10 years ago. So it's it's climbed steadily. And of course, with, e with each new cycle and not so much anymore, but the drumbeat of uh, data breaches and compromises has been uh, well understood by everybody. But we actually think when we look at things like mobile wallets, for example, and mobile payment, um, the US does lag a lot of the other global geographies that we look at in future buy, and particularly the APAC countries where utilization is much higher. And we, we know that the data privacy concern that we just talked about is part of the reason for that lag, but the data suggests that it's a broader issue of not being a huge problem today. So the bottom line is that largely in the US, people feel that the current payment methods that are already available to them, obviously credit cards, debit cards, uh, et cetera, are 
uh, as we used to like to say, marvelously adequate. They're just they're just fine, thank you. And there's not really seen as a problem to be solved. Um, so we think it's as much for some a data concern, but also for others, uh, just kind of a, I'm not sure what problem I'm solving here and I'm perfectly happy with my credit card, particularly now that the chip cards have been pretty ubiquitous here and folks recognize that they have a little higher level of security associated with those and certainly still a high level of convenience. Um, so we think that's been part of the uh, part of the lack of enthusiasm, if you will, for a lot of the mobile payment platforms. And now, of course, there's a lot of those cards are also um, coming with a contactless uh, feature, which is, of course, highly sought after and will probably get a lot of top spin and acceleration out of this crisis as contact is now sort of a bad word in terms of the shopping experience. So we think that's going to keep people pretty satisfied and we don't we don't foresee a huge spike in mobile payments uh, coming anytime soon in the U.S., probably just a slow creep up, maybe half a point a year in adoption and pretty much still lagging the rest of the country, of the, of the globe. Are there other global trends that we should be following? I know Future Buy covers uh, a big portion of the globe. Are there things in Omnichannel or other shopping trends that are really popping globally? Just as we are in the U.S., uh, globally, we should also continue to watch the rise of using buy buttons on social media, um, not just among the general population, but among our leading edge and non-leading edge consumers as well. And as we'll get into in a little bit, we should also continue to look at shopping by setting up subscription services and using click and collect and visual search. Um, and then from an omni-channel uh, view, something to point out um, from a global standpoint is that we see Brazil, China, India, and Indonesia as top countries for omni-channel shopping. And the categories where we can expect to see global omni-channel shopping rise uh, would be smartphones, clothing and fashion, and over-the-counter healthcare. Just to wrap up here, you know, we do call the podcast Thinking Ahead. And so we're going to ask you both to think ahead in terms of the future of shopping. Obviously, there's a lot of chaos uh, to some extent going on in the marketplace right now. Uh, but Future Buy really gives us that longer term look at the foundational trends that are going on and, and the things that are sort of underlying bigger decisions. So, Joe, maybe you go first and just tell us what you see as, as kind of the future for shopping uh, and all the different trends that you're looking at. Well, we, we covered some of it already. I think, you know, expect coming out of this crisis that it's going to get increasingly blurry and the, this board, notion of borderless shopping and really hyper fluidity, if you will, in terms of the way people choose to do their shopping and the methods that they use, the toolkit, if you will, is going to get more diverse and, and, and more fluid as we come out, which continues some trends that we saw coming in. And then a lot of the things that are going to benefit by the increased exposure to online shopping, which people are having today out of necessity. A lot of those things, uh, you know, social media shopping, a lot of the blended delivery methods like click and collect or pick up uh, are going to continue to thrive, we think, and come out of this very, very strong. Uh, and one I'll mention that's not, we haven't really talked about in the context of, of COVID necessarily, but as we look at some of our trending and just keep our eyes and ears open in industry, we're also very bullish about voice and voice for shopping. And, you know, voice is such um, a, 
you know, we talked about how online shopping through a keyboard, you know, revolutionized shopping because it was so much easier. Well, think about how much easier speaking is than even using a keyboard, right? It's one of the most primal basic things that we do from the moment we're born, probably till the day we die. And it's so, it's the most natural form of interface that a human can have with any system. So we think that's a powerful foundation. And while a lot of the infrastructure that needs to happen around making uh, voice uh, a shopping friendly medium is not there yet, it's still in development. We think that those fundamental forces are gonna be uh, ultimately played out in market and voice is going to be a, a major a vehicle for shopping uh, in the in the medium term, we could say, in the future. So keep an eye out for voice. Uh, Serena, did you have some thoughts to add? Yes. Um, so looking at the future of shopping, I think it's going to be really important to take a look across our generation, um, our generations. And this year, we see that post-millennials and Gen X are really driving up their usage of shopping via subscription services and using visual search. Um, and boomers, even though a small portion, are starting to also increase their use of visual search and shopping via smart speaker. So kind of along with what Joe said, it's going to be really important to look at voice and, and online and social media going forward. Interesting. Well, I want to thank you both for uh, sitting in and really giving us a lot of great insights into shopping today. And uh, if our listeners would like to download a sample report from this year's Future by Study, just click the link in the text below your podcast player. And remember that if you'd enjoyed this episode, be sure to look for all the other Thinking Ahead podcast episodes that we've recorded and that we have in the works. So take care and stay safe. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Thinking Ahead. For more information on today's topic, click the link in the description. We'll see you next time so you can keep thinking ahead.